Hello, I'm Harriet Smith and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. In this episode, you get two for the price of one. We are delighted to be joined by Dr. Abby Banzali and registered dietitian Elaine McIninch from Culinary Medicine UK. We are going to be discussing the importance of nutrition education for doctors and what this means for dietitians. So Elaine McIninch currently works for Brighton and Sussex Medical School, where she helps to integrate nutrition into the curriculum. She maintains a clinical role as a registered dietitian, specialising in diabetes in pregnancy, and she's co-founder of the Education and Research in Medical Nutrition Network. In addition, Elaine is an executive member of NEDPRO Global Centre for Nutrition, and she is also the nutrition lead and a director for Culinary Medicine UK. Elaine is currently researching gaps in nutrition education from the perspective of medical students and junior doctors, and more recently, nutrition inequalities and COVID-19. Dr. Abby Banzali is the strategic lead and a founding director of Culinary Medicine UK. He graduated from Imperial College of Medicine with a first class honours in healthcare management. Prior to joining the NHS, he worked for a boutique health consultancy firm where he developed his project management and analytical skills. He is now a GP trainee in Northwest London and strongly believes that our current attitude towards health needs to change. As an NHS clinical entrepreneur, he is motivated to drive forward collaborative innovations such as Culinary Medicine UK to support the systematic change needed to curb the burden of non-communicable diseases. So hi Elaine, hi Abby, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi Harriet, yeah nice to be here. Hi Harriet, thanks for having us. It's great and we're obviously doing this all remotely on Zoom, so um, thank you for finding time out of your busy schedules to join us in the Dietitian Cafe. So Elaine, I'd like to just begin by asking you um, a question that I think lots of dietitians will be wondering. Is culinary medicine the same as lifestyle medicine? It's a really good question and we've had a lot of discussions about just this um, amongst culinary medicine uh, colleagues but also just generally working in medical education. So I really admire my colleagues for, for branching out and learning new skills. I don't think that lifestyle medicine is anything new so we could call it holistic care or patient-centred care or self-management um, but I think that, that sometimes, uh, particularly in education, it's, it's kind of tokenism. So we talk about holistic care, but do we actually do that? And uh, I, I actually had the real pleasure of listening to Dr. Ellen Fallows. So she's uh, from the, the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, and she was talking about group consultations and the value that that brings to her patients um, using particular behaviour change communication skills and the value it brought to her as a clinician as well. And it really resonated because that, that's uh, a lot of what I do in my job, thinking about uh, diabetes care and we run a lot of group, groups. So, um, but what was really interesting is I think that this movement is getting more organised. So, so she's looking now, or as, a, as an organisation, they're looking at what is a tangible good outcome for this and, and you know, to really sort of demonstrate the value. Um, but I think that the, the, there's parts of the, the uh, life supplement. So, so nutrition doesn't always fit that neatly with that label. So 
for a lot of us dietitians, we might be working with uh, patients on intensive care or requiring really intensive nutrition supports or, you know, with patient oncology patients or people with complex gastro conditions. And that really doesn't fit with that label of lifestyle medicine. And I, I think that's where it can be a bit confusing. So um, with culinary medicine, we're looking at nutrition across the board. So um, thinking about equitable access to nutrition education for our patients, but also making that uh, medically relevant as well. So uh, absolutely, I think that, that when you're thinking about lifestyle medicine and that I think that the broader aim there is that it's that medicine should be more than just the drugs that are prescribed and having a wider consideration of that. But um, I, one thing I would say, like, I think that, 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 that medics really value the skills of dietitian in this field. So this is our bread and butter. Uh, so I, I, perhaps there needs to be more collaboration within the lifestyle medicine movement because it very much is medicine at the moment, not lifestyle healthcare. And maybe that's a way of widening it out to think about, uh, you know, a more inclusive space because nobody is the full package. We're not the full package as dietitians. Doctors are not the full package. It's how we collaborate and to make it so making more of an inclusive space that less less hierarchical, which I think is sometimes a problem in uh, modern healthcare. Thank you, Elaine. Abby, do you have any thoughts on that? No, I, um, I mean, I think that was, a, that, was a, that was a beautiful answer. I love the idea of equitable access to nutrition education. Um, I think I'd probably just highlight that. I think discussing lifestyle is supposed to be the first line for a lot of chronic conditions that we see as clinicians. So as much as I appreciate uh, the movement that Elaine has spoken about and the awareness it has raised, I think it is something, so while lifestyle medicine is something that is very much a part of holistic care rather than a sort of another branch of medicine. Um, and like Elaine, I think it's important to acknowledge that um, a lot of what doctors consider to be lifestyle medicine is actually the bread and butter for a lot of allied healthcare professionals. So as a doctor yourself, Abby, how did you begin to develop an interest in nutrition and lifestyle medicine? Oh, that's a great question. So um, um, I think we all know the impact lifestyle related diseases um, are having on our NHS. And as a very impressionable and perhaps often um, over-enthusiastic junior doctor, the idea of prevention uh, quite quickly became alluring to me. Um, equally, I think um, sort of in my foundation uh, years, I became quite interested in the well-being of healthcare professionals. I started asking myself, um, how do healthcare professionals decide what, what to eat at work? How does shift work affect their sleeping patterns? You know, how, how well are they coping with their stress levels? And I think in trying to understand some of these questions, I inadvertently became a lot more interested in nutrition um, and more broadly, the impact of lifestyle. Um, and then sort of something uh, Elaine mentioned earlier, I think this movement, it really offers a unique opportunity to collaborate and work with some really awesome specialists like Elaine and yourself to deliver um, holistic care. Thank you, Abby. And um, going back to, to what you said earlier about the early days of your um, medical career, do you feel that during your medical training, you had sufficient nutrition education? Um, so I have to be honest, um, I can't really remember receiving much education about nutrition. 
um, beyond sort of in learning about individual macronutrients, uh, what they break down into. Um, I remember sort of a few lectures uh, during our endocrinology modules um, highlighting the importance of glycemic burden. But really, you know, there was nothing in our teaching that delivered the aha uh -huh moment um, or highlighted the significance of nutrition. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to sort of achieve with culinary medicine. Yes, and I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, there was a, an article in the BBC um, perhaps a year ago showing that um, a survey had found medical students reporting that they'd received less than eight or ten hours of nutrition education throughout their entire medical degree. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think that's sort of like the average. And I think some medical stu students report as little as two hours. Um, but obviously, we have to remember that it's a six-year degree and often nutrition is sort of, you know, um, incorporated throughout the curriculum. And sometimes it can be difficult to remember that, um, you know, you were taught certain aspects of nutrition. Um, I almost feel like there's a need for a bit of rebranding and sort of elevating the way we, we talk about food uh, and nutrition within uh, medical school. And we'll certainly come on to that later in the podcast episode. So Elaine, I just wanted to ask you as a dietitian, how did you become involved in um, culinary medicine and the lifestyle medicine movement? Because I, I think um, a few years back, you were one of the only dietitians working in this area. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been working in medical education, teaching nutrition advice and medical school for, I think, about four years. I lose, I lose track. But uh, I'm just, just hooking on to what Abby was saying before. We actually, we've just published a paper called uh, Time for Nutrition and Medical Education. So that's in the BMG Nutrition, Prevention and Health. And we were looking at exactly that as the opinions of doctors and medical students and whether they thought that, that nutrition was important in their role. And, and, and the most startling statistic for me was is that over 90% felt that they had a role in nutrition. But 70% of those people, bearing in mind, they're probably the most interested people responding to this survey, 70% um, spoke about nutrition less than once a month. So that's just such a wasted opportunity. And I think as dietitians, we're not a frontline service. So we rely on uh, nutritional problems being picked up and recognized and taken seriously. So our patients need to uh, doctors need to understand a little bit about nutrition in order to know that 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 that's something that needs to be referred on to dietitians. Um, but so thinking about like so back to your question is is you know how did I get interested? Well, you know I feel really passionately about the the role of nutrition in healthcare and. I love my job as a dietitian. I, I used to do a lot of groups and I love that group work, that collective brain almost solving a problem together. Um, but, but we're just a sort of micro part of the, the bigger picture. So a really good example, and I think this to me highlights why we need to work together as a healthcare team is I used to work in diabetes and I was employed in the insulin initiation clinic. So the, uh, the nurse would start somebody on insulin and the patient would get sent to me and I was commissioned specifically with the outcome to reduce weight gain post putting on insulin. But, you know, that was just, we managed to change the system. So instead, 
I saw the patients first and we looked at reducing their carbohydrate, improving the quality and quite often just getting patients to start blood testing and dietary manipulation. They didn't need to be on insulin at all. So I think where we position ourselves in healthcare as dietitians is really important. But it was tough, actually, because because we did that. And then the, the doctors and nurses originally, when they were referring on to us, they would go, well, we've referred this person for insulin. Why haven't they started on insulin? So then we had to go back and educate the uh, referrers and what our process was. So um, I guess that this is just in a bigger scale, really, as I think as dietitians, we're talking about the potential for nutrition education for our patients, but really the crucial Goal, role that, that doctors have in that they're absolutely key in this process so um, I, I feel that as dietitians we need to be more involved in medical education which we are with people like Dwayne Weller now working in this space and uh, there's some examples across the world there's particularly some Australian dietitians following similar routes. Thank you, Elaine. Um, and that leads me on nicely to my next question, which is how did uh, yourself as a dietitian um, meet Abby as a doctor and come together to form culinary medicine to address this gap in um, nutrition knowledge amongst doctors? Uh, the, the, the start of the dynamic duo. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where did we meet? Shall I take this question, Elaine? <laughs> Um, so I think funnily enough, um, I was actually a student in the first culinary medicine course um, and clearly Elaine's teaching left a mark, uh, given I'm here today discussing the importance uh, of nutrition and the future of culinary medicine. Yeah, uh, thanks Abby. And it, you know, it's been such a pleasure working with Abby and, and, and getting to know the challenges and the difficulties that doctors have in general, but are um, we have many conversations about how, how do we turn this around so that nutrition is taken more seriously, but that, um, that we, but we can genuinely work collaboratively. So um, we, we both have different skills to bring to the table. And it's so refreshing, actually, to work outside your profession. It's a little scary as well. I feel sometimes a bit intimidated working outside of my safe space which is as a dietitian but um so productive and i think it's incredible what culinary medicine has achieved to date which we'll talk about later on i think it's important to recognize um there's there's several other members and directors on the culinary medicine team is that correct do you want to tell us a bit more about that abby yeah, sure. So we've got a fantastic team. Um, and really, I think that's one of our key strengths. Uh, we've got a truly multidisciplinary team. Uh, we've got uh, Rupi Ojula, better known as the Doctor's Kitchen. Um, he's sort of the original founder, wanted, wanting to bring culinary medicine to the UK. Um, he works as a GP um, and obviously is delivering some fantastic um, sort of content around nutrition um, as the Doctor's Kitchen. Um, we've got, um, you know, Chef Vince Kelly, um, he sort of works at Westminster Kingsway um, and he's got a really good grasp of why nutrition is important, not just to medical students, but also to um, the future of the hospitality industry. Young chefs need to understand nutrition and that's something, that's a conversation that we're sort of um, having right now. How can we as an organization um, not just help medical students, but help future culinary students incorporate more nutrition into the way they uh, design their menus, um, um, 
for example. Um, and then obviously we've got uh, we've got a lot of other professionals with us working with us. We've got sort of you know a lot of experience. So we've got um, Sumi, who's a GP. We've got Katie, who has a background in uh, psychology, um, and 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 yeah, and we work with a fantastic range of freelance dietitians as well. We've also got some students now as well. So we have a, a um, dietitian student who's helping us with our social media content, um, Alice. And we've got a, a junior doctor who's, and, and Alice and uh, Pip, who's a junior doctor, are working collaboratively on posts for social media. So we're, we're really like really embedding that uh, cross profession into professional working in our. Um, it really like part of our mission, I guess, that, that, uh, to, to take that more seriously. But um, yeah, it, it's been really interesting working with the culinary field. So, so, so Vinny's taught me so much, and I'm sure Abby as well, about uh, how culinary professionals are educated and, and the, the, um, the masters that can happen and, you know, the whole host of education that happens there. But um, I think that that one thing that, that really struck me is is that, that for, for the culinary students that are coming out qualifying now is they're looking at a really difficult time in uh, because there's no jobs around but we were talking about the potential for culinary professionals to help out in this movement to make sure that everybody's getting fed because we're seeing rising nutrition insecurity so I, um, myself and Abby and and Vinnie have been having a lot of conversations on how culinary medicine can we can help to to take together the skills that we have and maybe solve help to solve some of this problem. And I guess that's really it. You know, we we start off with like seedling ideas. Um, you know, someone from the team will have an idea, and it's just fantastic to see how it grows because we have such a wealth of sort of experience and diversity within the team. Um, um, and I think that's one of the most exciting things. Um. Um, working for culinary medicine and with this team. So let's take it back a couple of steps and uh, explain to our listeners who are perhaps not familiar with what culinary medicine is. Can you explain to me what the organisation um, does and what your vision or purpose is as a not non-profit organisation? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think this may have to be a double act again. Um, yeah. Elaine, fill in sort of the gaps sure. or whatever I miss. Um, so we're essentially a, a community interest company uh, or a social enterprise. I think that's uh, a much easier term to digest um, called Culinary Medicine UK. Um, and we're the first organization in the UK to teach healthcare students. Um, well, uh, I guess medical students and qualified doctors, the foundations of nutrition science. Um, and look at how we can translate some of the science into clinical practice for the direct benefit of their patients. Um, I guess our mission really is to support healthcare professionals to have meaningful conversations um, with their patients about the importance of diet. And really, I think what I found is that we're, we're, we're building greater empathy and understanding, um, allowing these discussions about food that are that are becoming a lot more appropriate um, to sort of the financial, cultural, and medical circumstances of individual patients. Um, and then I guess the final point uh, in terms of our mission uh, or what we're hoping to sort of achieve is we really want to raise awareness amongst healthcare professionals um, about the resources, well, the fantastic resources that have available to them in the community um, and encourage more meaningful cooperation with you know, food charities, community organizations, and, and nutritional professionals uh, such as yourselves. 
yeah, thanks, Abby. I think that's a really good explanation. And, and just because culinary medicine, we the learning, uh, the, the kind of knowledge part happens, you nuts and bolts of the nutrition science is mainly happening outside of the classroom. So we have um, e-learning resources that we're in de developing and, and um, improving these at the moment. But when the uh, students come and spend time with us in the kitchen, we, we, it's all case-based, so we think about a case and we cook a meal for that case. So the example for UCL Medical School that we're working with at the moment, um, we cook for somebody who's at risk of diabetes. And just by cooking together, you automatically are put into the patient's shoes. So, okay, here's all these facts that we've learned about food and nutrition, but how do we translate that and how is the patient going to translate that into their own kitchens what what's the impact of that going to be and that really widens the conversation around the barriers and the difficulties for the patients and the clinicians as well because we have so little time to dedicate to this so i think it just makes it more tangible more meaningful um yeah so so, so i think really just raising the profile improving the quality of conversations so, so as just as abby said like more empathy for patient struggles as well as our own um, and, and improving cross cross profession working thank you elaine and i've actually had the pleasure myself of, of visiting westminster kingsway when culinary medicine have been delivering some of their courses for medical students and um, doctors and it's an incredible setup i have to say you've got vinnie the chef You've got a team of um, doctors and medical students actually in the kitchen cooking. And I think, Elaine, um, would you agree? It's probably similar to what dietitians remember from their university days when they were doing their food service and catering module, when you're in the kitchen developing foods for different therapeutic diets. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm old school, so I did the, the long placement. My, my placement, um, yeah, I, I, it's interesting, actually. I often reflect on that because I remember as a young student, I was a little bit sceptical about, well, you know, like, why do I have to do the cooking part? I just do the talking part. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and so I can empathize, actually. And I think it, it does come a little left field for medical students when they're used to all these really scientific lectures. But uh, so I, I understand that. And I think that, that we need to get really smart at how we what we're trying to achieve so it's not about coming and learning how to be uh, a professional cook or being really, really complex and that it's it's really how how the, what this means to your patients which I think maybe resonates more absolutely and Elaine another question for you what sort of reception has culinary medicine received from fellow healthcare professionals since you've launched these initiatives yeah, and so, so I think that I, I understand that actually uh, there's a, a, a real need and a, and a movement for, uh, for health education to be more integrated. So it's a big buzzword into professional education at the moment. So um, but it's, it's quite difficult to do because we do get used to and comfortable in our own professions. I think from a dietitian's point of view, many dietitians will recognise that sometimes they don't feel that taken seriously by medical colleagues. So, you know, maybe it's because we're small in numbers or we're a profession mainly of women or maybe because nutrition isn't taught in medical school, it's difficult to see the relevance. So I, I think often we, perhaps we're a little bit defensive of our profession. 
but then for, for doctors I suppose they're thinking about well isn't that the dietitian's role uh, you, but then they come to refer to a dietitian and realize there's a three-month waiting list so um, I think that we have to work really hard to, uh, to, to shine a spotlight on what the issues and the problems are and to acknowledge that and recognize that um, and I think that, that when people understand that we're all on the same page here, uh, you know, they're much more open to the idea of, of how we can collaborate and, and make this a bit more of an interdisciplinary uh, nutrition care so, so, so that we all have our different skills still as the dietitians, as the experts. But nutrition care doesn't start in the, in the dietetic clinic. There's a whole, you know, there's, there's a whole host of nutrition care that happens before or after you come see a dietitian. So I think that's what we're trying to address. Abby, do you have any thoughts on that? I think um, reception has been really interesting. I think um, it, it's been mixed at times, um, but I think that's that that's been um, an incredible journey for us, um, understanding sort of what medical students want to learn um, and what they should learn uh, and what the opinions of qualified doctors are. Um, and I think, um, Elaine, if you, I don't know if you agree, but it's been a lot of fun adapting our content to this feedback. Uh, you know, whether it means planning more time, more cooking time for them, incorporating more science, or even creating resources that students can use in their clinical practice. Equally, I think the feed, feedback has really helped us shape who we are, what we stand for. And ultimately, I think um, it's really helped us decide what we can responsibly de deliver in terms of education. Totally. Yeah, totally. And, and, and um, actually, medical students themselves or, or the students who come to our course have been almost become a part of our team. In fact, there are medical students that are part of our team that uh, are giving us really detailed feedback on how they feel that we can improve our teaching and make it more meaningful for, for them. So, yeah, it, it, this is not a one-way street. We're not imparting nutrition education. I, I suppose it's it's wider than that. We're, we're we're trying to adapt to try and solve some of the difficult um, traditional problems around nutrition and healthcare and education. Elaine, what's going on at, on a wider level in terms of government and perhaps public health and university organisations? Are they helping to make medical nutrition education a reality for doctors and? Has culinary medicine been involved in that process? Yes, yeah. So, so there's lots going on, and it's an exciting time to be working in this field. I think that I was fortunate to be, um, I was sort of riding the wave of enthusiasm from from lots of medics and different professions. Uh, so there's the uh, there's many movements within um, medicine, as we talked about the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine. Um, there's the Association for Nutrition who um, I'm part of the curriculum review group so we're looking at rewriting the nutrition um, uh, uh, learning objectives for undergraduates uh, of medical school uh, and also um, as Calumny Medicine we've, we've joined forces with other organizations involved in nutrition education for medics and for healthcare professionals at large so we're now part of an organization called uh, the Nutrition Implementation Coalition. So that is NutriTank, who are students advocating for more nutrition in the curriculum, the Education Research and Medical Nutrition Group. So that's a, a network of educators in nutrition education, in health and other fields. 
and NEDPRO Global Centre. So they have a, a long experience of research and um, different projects. So this is just a, a commitment, I guess, to collaborate and to bring all of our different skills to the table uh, for, for the benefit of, of nutrition education. Rather than in the past, I think sometimes this gets set up as a competition. So I think that that's a big movement forward in, in nutrition education for health professionals is thinking about what we all bring our different skills to the table. But I also think it really helps that so, so within the nutrition field, you have now the Academy of Nutrition Sciences. So that's the BDA, the AFN, the Nutrition Society, BNF, um, British Nutrition Foundation. And they, they're um, joining together now to have more of a collective voice. It's really funny. I was speaking to Ali from Nutritank and she was so confused. But why, why have you got all these different professions in nutrition? As medics, you're just a medic and you have a different speciality. So it, it's quite funny to see uh, your profession through the eyes of somebody who's not been involved. Uh, that's quite, quite, quite fun as well. Absolutely. Um, and we were just chatting earlier before we started recording today, I think, Elaine, about the AFN consultation document you mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I think you were involved in writing that document. Can you explain a bit more about what that document's all about? And I understand there are some key skills and competencies that um, the document outlines that medical graduates will be expected to be able to do upon completing their uh, medical training. Can you tell us a bit more about that, please? Yeah, sure. So, so this um, curriculum, there is a, a curriculum for, for nutrition education in medical schools, but it's not compulsory. So it's a, it's a recommendation guidance that was written quite some time ago. And the AFN have just re-looked at this, updated it and taken on board lots of stakeholders from, from different um, medical specialities, as well as the BDA are on the table and at NEDPRO are on the table, but also like, I'm, I, I'm also a part of NEDPRO Culinary Medicine and the BDA, so I'm kind of representing everybody. Um, but um, yeah, so, so, so the, but the advantage there is, is that, that we've written down the competencies agreed by everybody that we think that these are the things that medical students should know. Um, the, the process now is this is out for consultation. So we want all medical schools to have a look at that and comment on that because, you know, we might have got it wrong. Um, so there's still some time to input into that. It's open consultation. So anybody who wants to have a look, uh, you can put it in the show notes, I guess, um, how to do that. But I, but I think the key thing which was lacking before was the implementation phase. So that's, some, that's something that we're thinking about now is how can we make this a reality for medical schools? So we're looking at giving more examples for example you know could culinary medicine be part of the uh solution here we hope so we think so um my role in brighton medical school of having a nutrition lead um, and we're also looking at some e-learning resources um uh, uh, that, that have been produced um so, so Jenny Blythe and uh, Tim, who's also a dietitian, he and uh, now a medic, they, they've been producing some online materials. Uh, so we're looking at the potential for that as well. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully watch this space. I think uh, that there's a quite a lot of movement. Thanks, Elaine. Abby, are there any examples of universities that have come on board with culinary medicine? I, I understand you're working with a couple of medical schools at the moment. Can you tell us more about that? 
Yeah, so um, I think that journey has been fantastic. Um, I think we set ourselves up as a not-for-profit because the initial, um, you know, the goal, overarching goal was to sort of really target um, this gap at grassroots level, so um, target medical students. Uh, and we wanted to do it in a way that was accessible for um, medical schools. Um, I think, you know, that, that attitude has paid off to a certain extent. We've had the um, opportunity to work with some fantastic universities. Um, so, for example, um, we've been working closely with UCL for the last two years. Um, by the end of um, 2021, we'll have delivered education to um, um, almost 800 medical students uh, from UCL. Um, we've been working with um, Bristol as well, Bristol Medical School, and we deliver sort of a speciality choice module for eight of their student, medical students um, every year for the last, I think we're on our third year now. Um, but we've also engaged with uh, some medical schools who may not be entirely convinced, but may just want sort of a taste of what culinary medicine is. So for example, we ran some workshops for King's College um, a year ago. Um, and I guess the most exciting thing is that we have medical schools, um, or at least students within medical schools constantly um, approaching us to ask about what culinary medicine is um, and how they can get get involved or sort of bring it to their university. Um, and I think that's really exciting because we're seeing change at the grassroots level and some of the new medical schools that have been sort of set up recently, um, you know, who have an opportunity to really design an innovative curriculum. Um, they're really excited by the idea of having sort of um, a, you know, um, a component like culinary medicine uh, incorporated into the curriculum. So it's been really, a really exciting couple of years. And I believe you've got another exciting announcement coming early in the new year. Can you tell us a bit more about the course that you're putting together at the moment on nutrition for medical professionals? Um, I understand you've been working with dietitians to develop this course. Yeah, totally. So um, as Elaine mentioned earlier, a lot of the learning that takes place um, on our course uh, occurs in the kitchen. Um, and this is truly something special. Um, you really have to be there to understand sort of, you know, the learning and the aha moments that, you're, you're, that the students go through. But I don't think any of this would really be possible if the students didn't spend time at home going through some pre-course resources that we prepare for them. Um, what we're doing now is we're consolidating some of these resources and we've worked really hard with a fantastic network of freelance dietitians um, to build an online course that will, <clears throat> excuse me, that will better prepare participants um, with the background knowledge they need to, so that on the day itself in the kitchen, we can really focus on how to put this knowledge um, into practice for the benefit of their patients. Um, so, uh, in terms of the course, uh, what we envision at the moment is a, um, is a three-part course. Uh, there's going to be a nutrition component, which will have 14 modules. And each module has been curated beautifully, if I may say so, by an expert dietitian. Um, and it addresses how nutrition may relate to common clinical conditions, for example, diabetes or heart disease. But we also look at some of the wider issues at hand, such as food sustainability, accessibility, and affordability. Um, the course also has a culinary and behavior change component, which we're currently working on. Um, but best of all, I think it gives participants access to resources that can be shared with their patients um, or future patients, such as recipes, useful infographics, let's say, um, or portion size, for example. I really believe that this is, um, I guess, as holistic a package um, as one can deliver uh, within the nutrition space. So quite excited, actually.
Yeah, I'm very excited. It's really, it's really great to be working with so many dietitians and doctors and chefs and all, all sorts of people to think to pull this together. Um, but but um, yeah, I think um, another thing that's happened recently is we have a course that runs in the kitchen and we can't replicate that online, but it's been amazing what we've been able to achieve through webinars. So all of our teaching is, is online now. So we run webinars for UCL, for, for Bristol uh, um, medical schools, and we run uh, webinars for GP trainees. And uh, so, so we're, we're now just thinking, okay, uh, it's tough to get everybody into the kitchen. How can we offer that as an opportunity, but also think about how we can extend our offer, thinking about how we can be creative and offer opportunities to have um, these more meaningful discussions online. For example, just yesterday, we taught nutrition, uh, malnutrition, and our, our clinical case was a patient with COPD. And we cooked him a fish pie using tin fish and mashed potato. And we were talking, we were adding eggs and adding butter and cream and thinking about the ways that we can uh, prevent further weight loss for this patient. Um, and, and the students were, were really coming up with some great ideas, thinking about, you know, what about his family? How is he getting food? Where is it coming from? What's going to happen in COVID? So um, it's, there still is value away from the kitchen, but we are all really looking forward to getting back and just getting our hands on the food and, and kicking and the, all the smells and being able to eat together as well, which is a really cool thing. I think that's yeah. such a good point. Um, as in, I feel like the um, going online, um, I think it's not something that we immediately envisioned, but it's going to allow us to have such a wider sort of um, impact, reach a lot more students, um, which is quite fantastic. And of course, you guys are already fairly active on social media. What's, what's your um, social media handles, Abby? Can you just remind us? At Colouring Medicine UK. Perfect. And you're on sort of Instagram, Yeah, Twitter. we're on Instagram. Um, somewhat active on Twitter. We've got a Facebook page, but not particularly active. And we should hopefully be launching our new website soon. Perfect. And we can link to that in the show notes below as well. So Elaine, going back to what you were saying earlier, it's, it's all great um, it, sort of seeing a multidisciplinary team approach and um, seeing your hard work and efforts really helping to shape the future of medical students and doctors. Some dietitians may perhaps question, why are we training doctors in nutrition when dietitians are the experts in clinical nutrition and they're health practitioners themselves. So what would you say to your colleagues about this? Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, and I, I think that, that we can really utilize our skills to help uh, spread the message that, that nutrition care for our patients is important. So um, just as I said before, I would think that, that nutrition care doesn't start when it comes to the dietetic clinic. And if we really want to have an impact, we need to get the right people into our clinics. And that means working with other health professionals so that they can recognize when that's important and, and recognize other methods of improving somebody's nutritional care. So, for example, we've been doing some work in food insecurity, and I didn't know this until recently, um, particularly pre-pandemic, because you need a referral to go to a food bank. Um, uh, so, so, so doctors and nurses who are meeting their patients at the front door um, um, are, are really key in, in making these links. Uh, so, 
I think that we've got a much wider role than, than just what we can do in clinic ourselves. And, and just in the same way as, as uh, you know, for example, if you're a GP in general practice, you wouldn't say, right, OK, um, so I realise that you now need an operation, so I'm going to become your surgeon. You would recognise that and uh, make that initial assessment initial diagnosis and you would refer on to a specialist and I think that the dietitians can see themselves in the same role as the specialists but we need to support that the work that needs to happen first in order to give our patients that the best care that we can. Yes and I think Abby you were saying earlier this isn't about um, doctors replacing dietitians in terms of nutrition um, education it's about equipping them with a general appreciation of the importance of nutrition would you agree? Yeah, exactly. I think um, cross-specialty awareness is key. Um, I think our ultimate aim is to elevate the conversation around food um, and really make every patient contact count. I think the onus of supporting um, behavior change, for example, cannot be just on one specialty, uh, which is why we really need to upskill current and future doctors to fill this, um, I guess, somewhat void that exists in delivering consistent nutrition interventions. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just thinking about patients that I've met who come to me as a dietitian and, and they really value that conversation that their doctor has with them. Doctors are very um, respected professionals and uh, it, it means a lot if, if you're trying to make a difference with your diet as, as a person and you go and see your doctor and they can show empathy and understanding and, and, and signpost you on to the right place to get help. Uh, I think that that you know, when we say that, that doctors need to refer on to dietitians, that feels like quite disempowering. It, you know, that, that's part of the process. But even just the first conversations that you have with patients as a doctor has a massive impact on their health. So, uh, yeah, I think there's many uh, faceted ways that, that doctors can, can really uh, make a big difference alongside dietitians, of course. Elaine, what sorts of key skills and competencies do you think are important for medical graduates to have and be able to perform once they've finished their training? Um, for example, you know, conducting a nutrition risk assessment, for example. Yes, uh, um, assessment is everything. Um, I, I actually, um, Abby and I, just a couple of days ago, we recorded uh, two example consultations of doing a nutrition assessment and making a nutrition diagnosis and uh, it, it's really interesting because we, we've kind of come at this from different angles as, as different professions but what we were thinking about is how to do a mass score and, and a lot of doctors aren't doing mass scores particularly in the community because um, I think there's this assumption that somebody else must be doing it but often um, as a doctor, our example was this, this person was at home and, and the doctor was doing a, a home visit. There's nobody else there. You, you're their lifeline, I guess. So, and and uh, just asking a couple of simple questions. What is your weight? Working out somebody's body mass index and how much weight have you lost? So we're looking at what their previous weight was. Just that in itself and, and getting that diagnosis of whether they're um, malnourished or, or um, at risk of malnutrition. And uh, and I th so I think that, that even like even these simple skills and I think that as dietitians, because this is our bread and butter, we don't think about it. But these are not skills that are currently taught in medical school and they're not um, 
they're not currently uh, um, demonstrated in clinical consultations that students are seeing. So, uh, so, so, so the assessment's important. The uh, diagnosis is important. So another example is we had a patient yesterday that one of our, our, our students brought a patient with them to discuss and go, yeah, but they're overweight. Yeah, but they've lost five stones. So thinking about, ah, okay, so maybe their first nutrition diagnosis is not obesity. Maybe in this instance, because they have cancer cachexia, that their their actual diagnosis is undernourishment, and that's what we need to treat. Um, so I think just working at uh, working at the assessment, the diagnosis, and finally, you know, where nutrition might be in the management plan, and that might be prescribing supplements or it might be first line advice about food but it might also be signposting that person on to where they can get help in the community or a dietitian as well so um so, so we're, we're trying to focus on the assessment the diagnosis and the management and and how that's integrated into clinical care the same way as you would do with medication Thank you, Elaine. Um, going back to what you were saying earlier about um, developing those skills for having those conversations with patients regarding nutrition and nutrition status. Um, Abby, I was wondering if you have any thoughts or ideas for how doctors can perhaps begin a difficult conversation with a patient about their nutrition um, and about their weight, perhaps if we look at the context of um, a patient that might need to lose weight for managing their condition. How would you begin that sort of conversation so I, I think um this links in quite nicely to the previous question um you asked um and i think when we think about skills firstly um i think it's important to maybe go back a couple of steps um i think there is a, a genuine need uh for uh, doctors to genuinely recognize the significant impact food choices can have on health um, and I think that's sort of like the first step. If you have this awareness that that nutrition can have such a huge impact on 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 a person's health, um, it makes having these conversations somewhat easier because you're almost um, in a way primed. Um, <clears throat> in terms of how you can start having a conversation, I think the first step really is to find out if a patient even wants to talk about nutrition, let alone their weight. Yes, it may be important, but um, you know they may not have come in with this expectation. And if the patient isn't ready, uh, you're unlikely to have much success. If anything, it may hinder your report with them. Yes, I think that's really important about the patient-centered care aspect and um, sort of asking permission to discuss these sorts of things um, and assessing a patient's readiness to make those changes as well. Um, and I think it's, you mentioned earlier, there's gonna be a behavior change aspect incorporated into your online course for medical students. So it sounds like, um, yeah, culinary medicine are, are incorporating that into their course, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's that that's how we make it more relevant. To, so, so it's really clear the links between nutrition and, and what happens in a consultation. So that's another thing that we're doing in all of our courses is we spend time practicing consultation skills. So we get our students to talk to our case study that they've just cooked for and, and just to um, play out how to bring up nutrition in a consultation because I think just even just having some blanket open questions go you know like I, I was just interested to know how um, you, you might be looking after your diabetes yourself for example 
uh, you know, would it be okay if we spent some time just having a look at what, what you're eating? You, you know, simple things like that, but just having those set phrases can sometimes be a real help when, it, when you're in, in the thick of busy clinical care. Absolutely. Um, and I think also um, when we think about the impact that this um, medical nutrition education is having on the patients, Elaine, do you have any thoughts on how patient care and outcomes will actually improve as a result of providing this training to doctors? Yeah, it's so interesting. And myself and Abby and, and the whole team, we've had lots of conversations about this because it's one of the real difficulties in nutrition, isn't it? Is how do you demonstrate um, your effectiveness when sometimes um, making nutrition changes, it's not instant, that it, it, the they benefits, you know, like you may be um, reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease, but you have to go many years to see if that's, that's successful or not. So one um, way I was thinking is, is that I know is looked at a lot is, is preventing um, admissions in, into secondary care. So we could look at how we can support patients to stay at home and to keep themselves healthy and perhaps looking at reducing admissions into secondary care. But also um, we could look at patient reported outcomes. So how supported patients feel about uh, nutrition and their, their needs and, and their education needs. Um, so, so maybe asking them. I suspect, and I put myself in this category, is if we really want to understand what success looks like, we need to ask patients. So perhaps, uh, you know, getting more patient involvement, and that's our ambition for this year, is getting more patients involved to go, you know, what would good nutrition care from your doctor look like? for you and and I think that that would give us a lot of um, clues because sometimes I think there may be a little bit of a mismatch. Yeah absolutely. Abby do you have anything to add on that note? Yeah sure so um, I think I think there are three things so I, I keep asking my this question sometimes I'm obsessed with this question how do we show outcome how do we show outcome um, and the th three things that I, I've I think personally thought of um, and I think it's quite intuitive and almost maybe some of the softer advantages um, or softer outcomes um, uh, firstly I think a lot of patients want to know about what they can eat and how they can eat for their health and so being able to start a conversation around this um, is going to lend well, um, uh, lend well to sort of improving patient rapport. Clinically speaking, I think um, as uh, Elaine has sort of highlighted, malnutrition is such a, a huge but often forgotten societal issue. Um, and I'd love to see doctors just help chip, chip away at this issue and, and, and reduce this hidden hunger. Um, I also think nutrition is an important aspect of delivering holistic care. So the symptoms that patients come in with, they don't occur in isolation, but by understanding sort of the context the symptom exists in, I think it'll really help us to deal with root causes rather than just what we hear or see. So just, um, I guess just, just with um, leading on to that, we can often weight is the only outcome that's looked at, but could we be looking at HbA1c weight lipid blood pressure and just taking a wider view on the outcomes that can be uh, dem demonstrated um, improvements through nutrition interventions as has been shown in many clinical trials. And Elaine what sorts of changes do we need in the future to continue to make nutrition education a reality for doctors? What more could we be doing? 
also um, perhaps having more dietitians in primary care. Uh, so, so having uh, more opportunities for, for, for doctors and dietitians to uh, have discussions about nutrition um, and, and, and that will feed back then into students because students spend a lot of time with doctors um, learning from them. So I think that the, there's a lot of shift in this in secondary care. So there's really great um, gastro teams with dietitians integrated, diabetes teams with dietitians integrated, but we're maybe falling a bit behind in, in primary care. I think that, that that's recognised now with dietitians being added onto the um, the, the GP, what's it called, Abby, the, the GP, um, the, the uh, Contract, GP contract, contract. Yeah, is yeah, that right? Yeah, the GP contract. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that's that's maybe an opportunity to come. But you know, just just looking for more opportunities, I think, to look at nutrition education in a collaborative way. So, so we can't be as dietitians coming like a knight on a white horse in order to solve all the nutritional education problems for doctors, because we need to understand the challenges for doctors as well. So, I think that we need. Um, different professions, but also I, I recognise that we need behaviour change specialists as well to do the communication skills that we do as dietitians. But we need so we need experts of a wild, wide field, uh, and that's where I think that the AFN are making um, some good inroads, as well as organisations like NedPro and Culinary Medicine, obviously as well. Thank you, Elaine. Abby, do you have anything to add on sort of future directions and changes that are required? I think um, Elaine's covered it, but I think the key is collaboration. I think we need to be open to collaborating with our colleagues and having sort of sometimes the hard discussions, um, you know, really investigating what are the hurdles that we're facing, what's preventing us from sort of talking about nutrition. Um, because I think, you know, working together is the only way we're going to be able to sort of um, tackle this problem. Absolutely. Brilliant. And just to finish, could you please tell us, Abby, where our listeners can go to find out more about culinary medicine? And are there any ways that they can get involved if this is something that they're interested in? Yeah, sure. So um, I have to admit, we're not the best when it comes to socials, but please do sign up to our newsletter. Um, we sort of do sort of monitor it. Um, follow us on Instagram. Um, definitely look out for a new website, uh, which we're hoping to update very soon. Um, and, you know, if you've got an interesting idea or interested to work with us, um, just drop us an email um, and, and, and let's see what we can do together. And the, they can sign up to the newsletter on your website. Is that yep. right? Via okay. Linktree, uh, uh, via our website or also, I think, on Instagram via Linktree. Perfect. Thank you. And we can certainly link to that in the show notes. So before we finish our podcast episodes, we like to ask our guests a few quick fire questions. So um, I'll ask Elaine first of all, and then Abby um, will come to you for a second answer once Elaine's had a chance to answer her with her response. So Elaine, what would you say has been your biggest achievement to date? That can be both professional or personal. Oh, um, uh, yeah, so personal's uh, my twins. Uh, they're IVF twins, and it was our sixth time lucky last through the dice so yeah always um and puts everything in perspective for me very grateful but professionally i think um being able to get outside of my comfort zone and and to learn uh, um, from so many fabulous people like abby and like um all the team in colony medicine 
and uh, yeah so hopefully you know that's helping to to demonstrate the possibilities to other people to do similar uh, cross-profession roles brilliant and abby what are your thoughts on that question I think uh, I'd say my biggest achievement to date is probably climbing my first uh, 4,000 meter summit. Wow. Where was that? Uh, that was in Italian Alps. Oh, dreamy. You're putting <laughs> us all to shame. <laughs> um, so, Abby, what's top of your bucket list for 2021? Oh, is it, is it really cringe if I say getting married? <laughs> oh, yeah. Very no, cute. Cringe. <laughs> <laughs> so when's your wedding scheduled for? Um, well, it was supposed to be the end of this year, but we're pushing it back to next summer. <coughs> oh, okay. You'll have great weather for that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah, what an exciting thing to be looking forward to. And Elaine, have you got anything on your bucket list for the new year? I want to go on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It seems such a far off reality at the moment in the depths of COVID and all these travel restrictions. Um, and just finally, being um, dietitians and doctors with with an interest in food, we have to ask you, what are your favorite foods, Abby and Elaine? Um, I'd say uh, my favorite food um, is probably a, a really good paneer curry. Mm, yeah, especially good. Oh, we're recording this on a Friday night, so that's definitely, uh, yeah, top of the takeaway <laughs> list. <laughs> for me, it's Thai food. Um, I lived in Thailand for almost three years. Uh, um, in my 20s so always my go-to comfort food wonderful so we've got a selection of takeaway options for tonight then <laughs> thank you so much for your time today elaine and abby our next episode of dietitian cafe will be coming soon and thank you very much for listening thanks thanks, thanks so much for having us harriet